Today we're continuing our Eastertide sermon series that uh, we've, I've named, for lack of a better uh, idea, just Easter words, uh, because each week we're diving into a word that has uh, a significant meaning in the season of Easter. It's usually a word we hear in church a lot. Uh, so far we've explored the word shepherd and vine, but today we get to hear one of my favorite churchy words, abide. To dive into this word, we'll read from John's Gospel, continuing right where we left off last week, as this is really the continuation of Jesus' reflection of himself as the true vine and us as the branches, seeking to bear fruit by abiding in Christ's love. I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the 15th chapter of John's Gospel, beginning with the ninth verse. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands, so that you may love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's a recent car insurance commercial that caught my attention the other day. This commercial pans back and forth with two scenes. One is a a scene of a teenage girl receiving her first car, assumedly on her 16th birthday, and the other of a man discovering that his car has been jacked, with the wheels and tires stolen and the rest of the car perched up on cinder blocks. The girl comes outside her home to see a brand new Volkswagen bug in the driveway and in utter surprise asks, is this my car? What? The man, upon seeing what's left of his car, says the same. Is this my car? What? Still in joyful shock, the girl says, this can't be happening. The scene pans back to the man saying, this can't be happening, screaming in denial. The, car insurance go, uh, the, the commercial goes back and forth a couple more times, but it goes on to show how this insurance company is there for you in the highs and the lows of car ownership. But I loved it because it shows how the same exact words spoken can have drastically different meanings given the context. The joy of a teenager getting their first car, I remember that one, and the shock of having your car ripped off, the same statements, the same words spoken, can have drastically different meanings given the circumstances. We face a similar thing whenever we read Scripture. But I think this is particularly so with John's Gospel. On the one hand, we have the context of the Gospel narrative, where we are in the story of Jesus and his disciples. And since this is in the middle of what scholars call the farewell discourse, Jesus is in the middle of telling his followers goodbye as he's, on, he's uh, in his last evening with them, and he's preparing the disciples for what is to come after he goes uh, and is arrested. 
On the other hand, we have the context of the gospel community, the early Christian community to whom John addresses his gospel at the end of the first century, which is some three generations after Jesus. You may remember from last week that John's community of Jewish Christians faced oppression and persecution from Rome, but also from their Jewish brothers and sisters as they were seeking their identity in Christ. Finally, we have to mesh these two contexts, the the gospel story, but also the gospel audience. We have to mesh these contexts with our own today, the 21st century church in America. A church that's seeking to find its footing and identity in a rapidly changing and divisive world. How these words of Jesus are heard and internalized will sound different, will mean different things for each of these groups. Yet, I think there's still a connection between all three. And to me, that common thread is our Easter word today, abide. In our reading, as I said earlier, Jesus is is finishing his reflection on the image of himself as the vine and us as the branches. We're connected to the vine, and through the vine, we're connected to the other branches. In order to bear fruit, we must abide in his love and abide with one another. I love this word, abide. It's a good churchy word, isn't it? It's a word you hear me say almost every Sunday as part of the benediction, but it's a word we might not really stop very often and think about what it actually means or what its significance might be. Today we often hear the word in legal terminology, as in, will they they abide by the lower court's decision on that matter? But biblically, abide is a rich word. It has a wealth of meaning that leads us all the way to our reading today. Simply put, to abide means to stay or remain, to dwell, or even the good old-timey word, to tarry. In the Old Testament, we see abide in the Psalms, as we, we saw in our first lesson, seeking to abide in God's tent, to remain in God's presence and care. Another understanding of the Old Testament of the word is the idea of sojourning, of seeking refuge and shelter as an outsider, seeking to abide in God's care and protection. These ideas certainly carry forward into the New Testament and in our reading today. John, the gospel writer, of course, loves this word. In fact, the Greek word for abide, meno, appears about 118 times in the New Testament. 41 of those are in John's gospel alone. 11 of those 41 uh, instances of the word abide occur in chapter 15 of John's gospel which is our reading today as well as last week. In John's gospel, abide might be the clearest image we receive of what discipleship looks like. New Testament scholar Mary Ann Thompson says that abide implies receptivity or response to Jesus' invitation to follow him. And it also emphasizes perseverance or faithfulness. At its heart, meno, abide, is a relational word. And the call to abide with Christ and Christ to abide with you is a promise of remaining in relationship with God, but also with one another. Jesus continues the reflection by repeating the new commandment he had shared with them after washing their feet just two chapters ago, that they love one another as he loved them. Here we see Jesus' commandment to love one another This commandment is anchored in the idea of abide, of meno. 
As the Father has loved Christ, so Christ loves us. Abide in this love. Rudolf Boltman, who is probably the most prolific scholar on the Gospel of John, says here that God's love for Christ and Christ's love for us serves as both the model for us to love one another, but it's also the motive power through which we are able to love one another. In other words, it's both the benchmark from which we measure our love for one another, but at the same time, it's also the driving force. It's what powers our ability to love each other. God's love for Christ and Christ's love for us serve as models, as benchmarks for our love, and it's a high bar indeed. But it's not one that's meant to discourage us. This love is a benchmark, but it's also the driving force, the power that, that it powers our ability to love one another, to embrace and boldly love our neighbors. Whether we're the disciples fearing the loss of our rabbi, or we're John's community facing persecution on all fronts, or we're the church today grappling with discipleship in a divisive world, this idea starts to connect of abiding love. From God to Christ, from Christ to us, from us to each other. This abiding love becomes the glue of Christian community. Jesus' call for abiding love is a call for a mutual, reciprocal love. He goes on to say that you are my friends if you follow my commandments. And later, I no longer call you servants, but friends. There are a number of Greek words one could use for friends, but what's interesting is that the word used here is philos, as in one of the Greek words for love. Philos, think the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Philos can certainly be translated as friends, but a better translation, I think, here is ones who are loved, or just simply beloved. When we abide in Christ's love by loving one another, we are no longer servants. We're philos, friends, ones who are loved, beloved. Friends, I think this right here is the Easter reality of that word abide. This is an invitation to reciprocate God's love for us in Christ with others. Because here Christ models what it looks like for us. Here he raises the status of his followers from servants to friends, to loved ones. He no longer considers us as his followers to be servants, the Greek word here, doulos, but rather as loved ones, philos. Abiding in Christ's love means loving one another. Loving one another means seeing and treating everyone we meet as philos, not doulos. It levels the playing field. To truly love one another means seeing our fellow brothers and sisters, without exception, as philos. It means not treating anyone as doulos or as anything less than philos. Christ himself models this just a couple chapters ago by taking the role of a servant himself, and washing his disciples' feet. We experience Christ's abiding presence when we love one another as Christ loves us. It's an abiding love. It's a love by which we can abide. It's a love of mutuality. It's a love that reciprocates and spreads like branches of the true vine bearing good fruit. This abiding love transcends the barriers and walls we've established in our world moving us from seeing one another as doulos, as servants, to embracing each other as philos, loved ones, friends. 
This abiding love draws us deeper into relationship with God and one another, that we might abide together in good times and bad. In a book I read recently entitled Love Big, Be Well, author Wynne Collier narrates the life of a minister in relationship to his congregation in small town through a series of letters. It's a fictional work, but as a minister himself, he can tell that there's much of his own life and ministry within. In one letter, he describes the abiding community of a group that meets at the local coffee shop weekly, a group that they've playfully called the Order of the Roasted Bean. The writer, the pastor himself, is not a member of this group, but as a frequent patron of the the coffee shop, has seen this group in action for a while now. For 32 years now, Collier writes, that cadre of friends has shared their coffee, shared their news, celebrated retirements, graduations, and grandkids. They've stood beside one another at funerals, enduring sickness and divorce. They've showed up, morning after morning, through the tedious rigors that fill our lives. They don't harangue each other into participating. They don't try too hard to define what they've got. They don't always get along either. I know because I've overheard some of their heated exchanges during election season. Still, they just keep showing up for one another as often as they are able. This group, it seems, friends, can show us as the church much about what abiding community looks like. A community that keeps showing up for one another. A community that is rooted in the abiding love of Christ and shared abundantly with one another. Soon, friends, we will gather once again at our Lord's table for communion. It seems to me that the table is the place in the church where we keep showing up. The place where we hope to draw nearer to Christ and to one another. The table is the place where we experience the abiding love of Christ. It's also the place where we learn to share this abiding love with one another. As friends, as ones who are loved through Christ. The table is the place of abiding love in the church the place where we are drawn closer into relationship with our Lord and with one another. Rich and poor, young and old, liberal and conservative, and you can go on and on from there. This is the place where we are fed by our risen Lord and are able to see one another as philos, as friends, as loved ones. So, beloved, may we abide in this love of God we know so surely through our Lord Jesus Christ, who is himself the King of love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.